Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Amen. Thanks for singing. Can we thank the team this morning for helping us? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Hey, if you're sitting next to someone that looks nice, say, I love it when you smile. Yeah, somebody, you know? Some of you are sitting next to strangers. You're like, it's kind of awkward. Awkward church. You can have a seat. Some of you, I get to see all your smiles. And also when you sleep, by the way. I see when you smile and when you fall asleep. So I get the, the double whammy. Uh, it's, it's so nice to be together. Uh, hey, if we've, we've never met yet, my name is uh, Dom, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's such a blessing to, uh, to not only teach this morning, but you got a taste this morning of what it means that we have a wonderful team of leaders at our church, those who are serving from our elders to our, our finance team to coffee team, and so we're just so blessed. And part of being the church is all of us playing our part and learning to do this together. And so if you're kind of new or you're exploring faith, you're exploring church, uh, you're... Uh, You're kind of not sure about how this all works. We'd love to help you and, and encourage you. And especially, let me just say, especially if you're here for the first time. Coming to church for the first time takes a lot of courage. I remember like just the concerns of maybe going to church for the first time and you're like, Christians, they can be weird. Christians are weird. Church is creepy. We're in Quebec. That's kind of a whole nother beast. Uh, but you're here and we're happy you're here. And if you're online and you'd love to join us, we'd love to welcome you in person. And, and so this morning, actually, we're at... We're, we're entering, like, we've been entering this series talking about a very difficult topic, and we're going to continue this morning, and uh, if you're visiting, it's not a topic that is easy to talk about, uh, but in order to talk about it, I want to ask you if any of you have heard of this thing called the Super Bowl. Anyone? Have you heard of this thing called the Super Bowl? Yeah. Their companies have been pre preparing for, like, a whole year <laughs> to sell you, like, I don't know, blue Gatorade. Uh, like, th th there's all kinds of branding and a money machine. And, and, you know, we're in a series about money. And I thought, how ironic that this week there's been all kinds of talk about money and football and branding and spending. Some of you maybe heard this. You know, 30-second commercial for Super Bowl slot uh, is $7 million. So we're collecting money for that for next year for our commercial. <laughs> Start, collection starts this morning. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But actually, I want to show you this picture, and I, I thought this is fascinating. There's actually a $100 million campaign that's been raising money to promote a little video clip and some stories about Jesus at the Super Bowl. And it's crazy. Like, some of you might see it. I don't know if you have to, have to write a, have a certain channel to see it, but it's kind of controversial whenever you see Jesus and $100 million in the same slide. If you, if you haven't felt that, like, at least I feel that. And we as Christians are like, is that a good idea? Is there another way to spend that money? Or other people will be like, it's a great idea. There's people who are never going to learn about Jesus and they're going to see a trailer of the cross or something, you know? So just so you know, we all feel this strange tension around how we talk about God, Jesus, sacrifice, and money. 
And many of us know this. We also in our memory have stories of how often the church, people who claim to come and love God and love people, have used money in a very horrible way, in a corrupt way. I was just talking with just some families early on, even seeing of all the, the challenges around the world. You know, how do we help when there's a crisis, knowing that many churches or governments or leaders will take that money and use it in a corrupt way? I don't know about you or about me. I know, like, my heart gets hard after a while, and you're like, ah, I'm not helping. Nothing changes. Nobody's going to make a difference. So you know what? I'm not giving. I'm not helping. That starts to happen in our hearts. We kind of develop this, this tension of knowing how to stay generous and how to stay open to what God is going to call us to. And so we're kind of learning that together. And this morning, I want to encourage you and help you understand this in a new way. One of the beautiful things about talking about money is that every time we talk about resources, it's always a time for us to slow down and to remember that God is the only one who provides for us. We're really talking about generosity and God's provision in our lives. Now, some of us are here and God's provided more than we could ever imagine. Some of you maybe are here and you're feeling like, I wish God would provide just a little bit more because we're struggling. You might be surprised, but the Bible actually talks about the church and people who worship together who are rich and poor, strong and weak, new and old. They're they're all learning to live in this tension. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Bible. And I want this morning to feel like very practical a lot more practical. If you missed last week, you can go online and watch like part one of this teaching. But this morning will be a bit practical and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you see when you think about the church and how we give in this context. And, and when I was preparing this week, I thought about a time in my life where God was teaching me about generosity and it was this horrible habit that I developed. When I was a Christian, I was really young. I, I didn't understand the Bible well. Not a lot of people in my family went to church. I always had this idea in my head that to be a Christian is to go to church on Sunday morning for a few hours, and the rest of the week is mine. I don't know if this ever happened to you. It's like, you're like, okay, here now I'm committed to God. I want to listen. I want a bit of a spiritual kick. I want to be inspired. But then this afternoon, I'm going to kick it into Super Bowl mode. And then on Monday, I'm going to do my own thing. And then Tuesday is really my day. And Wednesday is about me. And you move on, and, and God is kind of compartmentalized in our mind. We have God time, and then we have the rest of our time. And around money is really important because what God invites us to is to be those who love him with all of our lives, with all of our time, and to see him at work in every single facet of our lives, actually in every day of our lives. And so maybe you've maybe felt that tension. Whenever we touch the topic of money, it pushes us to correct that idea. Now, if you're new, I'm going to define some words for us, and I actually want to begin this morning by giving you a definition. And it might be helpful for some of us because we're all at different places. And I wanted to find a word that you often hear a lot about in church or when talking about money. It's the word tithe. Have any of you ever heard of this word tithe? If you give, we actually have an app called Tidely. It's it's a form that you can give. And this comes from like the Bible times when it was talking to the people of God to help them understand money in a deeper way. So on the screen, you're going to see just a definition that I kind of wrote up just so we can kind of understand it. And uh, and maybe I'll, I'll draw something for us in a little while. It says this. So a tithe means a tenth, okay? Very, very simple, tenth. And it's a portion of one's resources brought as worship to God, celebrating God's provision and set aside for God's purposes. Okay, if you you just want to remember this, it might really help you because I know people, you know people, right, that don't believe in God. I know people who are not interested in in church. I know people, if you say money and God, oh, they got stories, right? So this is a series two to give you better language, to be able to maybe even talk or explain to someone else what it means that God is teaching you to be generous with your money, 
so that you would celebrate how he's provided for you and also know that he says, hey, bring a part of that and surrender it back to me so that my purposes will continue because there's people who still don't know me. It's a very simple idea. And I want you to think about this. I have this little thing here. I'm going to see if it's going to work. I don't know if it will. I have to do my face. Look at this. It's good. I got my face like this. Okay. Is it, is it up there, Will? Yeah. Did it turn? I got to turn it? I broke it. We're collecting an offering for that. Hey, that's my wife. Okay. Try again. I don't know if it's going to work now. Okay. So good. Let's do that. What's that? Nine and one. Very, very simple. If you were teaching your kids about giving, a tenth would be like, you give them ten little candies, and you say, you get to keep nine, but mom and dad want one. Is that fair? Right? If you said that to your kids, they'd be like, yeah, it's pretty fair. And they'd be like, that's pretty cool. You should do that. Now, let's say, how many of you have kids that are really generous? And you would say, can you give mom and dad Eight and two. Anyone? Generous kids? Not mine. Mine would fail this test right away. Mine would try to negotiate 10 to zero. That's my kids. But eight and two is another way. But the Bible says a tent is you take like nine you get to keep and one is for us. Now all of us would say that is so fair. That is such a great thing. Imagine that God says that's how this is going to work from now on. It's going to be great. I'm going to provide for you so many things and you get to keep nine of those things whether it's money, whether it's goods, whether it's provision, right? And I just want you to practice what it means to celebrate bringing one back. And over the years, this idea of tenth has been used as a practice. It's not used all the time, but it's a helpful practice for how to think about our resources and kind of learning to be generous. Now, if you multiply this in our lives, you think about if, if this was bigger, I could write, like, let's say you had $1,000. How much is a tenth of that? right? How much? Math people? A hundred. You're thinking, okay, now it's getting a bit bigger. I'm a bit more stressed. Because a hundred feels not like one. On and on and on. There's this practice in the Bible that comes from the ancient way that God was teaching his people, I'm always going to provide for you. But remember, just so you don't forget where all this came from, just bring one thing back to me. And they brought it as an act of worship. Now, I don't know how Jesus learned about this, but I want to show you a part in the Bible where these ideas are developed in just a second. And I want you to remember that Jesus, as a young boy, would have probably learned some of this from his parents. Jesus would have learned what it's like to practice that God is providing. And in the Bible, there's these books in the Bible that some of you probably never read, and I understand, they're hard to understand. One is called the book of Numbers. Get it? Numbers, right? And another one is called the book of Leviticus, which is a whole section of the Bible for how those who received the gifts from the people needed to deal with them, okay? They're the priests. And I want to just show you very, very quickly two passages that emphasize this idea of learning to practice generosity as a sign of what? Not that God needs our money, but of God providing and us celebrating by saying, how much do we bring back? We bring a part of it, a portion of it. So let me read it for you. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen behind me, you'll see it. This is what it says in Leviticus. When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf or a bundle of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And the second one, 
Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And these are like, these are beautiful passages of God saying, hey, do you remember when you thought you weren't going to have enough to eat and I provided for you? Do you remember when you were concerned about how I was going to, you know, take care of you when you were slaves and then you were in the desert? Now, when you start to experience my love, I want you to remember that there's a way for you to model generosity in your hearts so that you will never become a person who is tempted by greed. You will never become a person that easily gets entangled with the way the world talks about or uses money. It says, talk, Jesus, kind of, I think about being young and think about these passages. So let me just talk about these passages for a second because it talks about ideas that we don't use in our culture. I don't know about you, but I can't remember one time in the past like five years, maybe unless I was preaching, that I used the word first fruits. Anybody use first fruits on an everyday basis except Steve? He works with fruit. <laughs> you know, anyone, you don't think about that. Like who says like first fruits? Nobody says that. Like what's the first fruits of like one of $10? Well, it's all the same, so it doesn't apply, right? But the first fruits is this principle of looking all of the goodness that God has provided in our lives. My favorite fruit, by the way, is watermelon. So I often think of like all the watermelon in my mind that I love. And then finding the best one and saying the best one belongs to God. There was a principle of the first fruits that required that people didn't just practice generosity, but they practiced honesty. That they looked at everything that they had and they said, this is the best of it. This is the first fruits. And it means like this is the first fruits of the crop that's a sign of all the other fruit that's going to come next. It's the, the beginning of it. Look at the best of it and bring it to God. And it requires a real honest reflection. You know, I often do this in my house. My kids are around eating stuff. We buy something at the store, not the best one. I'm like, which is the best one so I could have it before they eat it? I don't know if you do this. You're like, okay, the best one. God's like, no, no, you take the best and that's set aside for me. And I think of this passage. When you come to the land and God blesses you, take the first fruit and what does it say? Bring it to the priest. This is very interesting. You bring it to the priest because the priest's job is not just to take it and eat it. The priest's job was to take it. Oftentimes they would partake of some of it, but then they would use parts of the tithe, parts of this first fruit as sacrifice, as an offering. Sometimes it was to care for the poor, to care for widows, to care for the things of God. All of these principles are there. And you know this Leviticus passage up here? It's so easy to do if you love the priest. Right? If you're giving a first fruits to Pastor Michael, it's easy. He's so lovable. Right? His wife's laughing. I have a few thoughts I want to share right now. Easy, Jasmine. Tone it down. Right? If you love the priest, you're like, this is great. I've never met anyone who doesn't love somebody and says, you want like a part of this? Of course, I love you. That's so great. I can't wait to give it to you. It gets harder when you don't like the priest. It gets harder when you don't like the person. It gets harder when you don't like the church. It gets harder when you're like, the church is not doing the things I want them to do. So I'm going to wait until I like who's next before I give. That's not what it says. It says you practice generosity out of a generous heart and you trust that God is using that for something greater. Even when you don't always like that, it's practicing that, that gift. But the other thing is the best of the first fruits in your soul to the house of the Lord your God. These are these two passages that we have in the Bible about this. And I find that it's really hard to take these ideas in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, and sometimes to apply them today in our context. It's harder because we're like, okay, first fruits, we don't really do. Priests, we're like, it's a little bit different. I'm not sure. And, and I often think of all of the questions that I've had about church and money growing up. Maybe you have questions about that. 
Like in the Bible, there's no verse about how to set the budget for the temple or how to set the budget for the church or how do you pay people money? How do you know when to buy a piece of land? All these things are things that require wisdom, but the principles of the Bible guide us. When we started the 180 and this church began, our first offering, our first collection, I'll never forget, we wrote down the little gifts that we collected on a little napkin. And I just remember writing, I'm like, God, okay, this is what we have. Here we go. We're going to trust you. We weren't sure where our space would be. We weren't sure if we were going to stay here. We weren't sure how, we, how God was going to provide. And I remember somebody in my family that I love dearly, they I, I gave some money and they put some money. We didn't actually have the baskets like we, ha like we have on the wall here. You can give if you want to contribute out, out there in the foyer. We have like a little, our, our money boxes there. We didn't have those at the time, but a person gave some money. And I saw them later in the day. And they came to me and they said, hey, did you get the money? And I said, what money? They're like, the money I put in the box, did they give it to you? I said, from where? I'm like, you know, thinking you lost somebody's money. They're like, you know, I put money in the box at the church for you. I'm just wondering if they gave it to you. And I thought, wait a second. You think that when we collect money at the church, I get that money? They're like, yeah. I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's not what happens. But I thought, this is somebody that I know and knows me, and even they are confused about, like, where does the money actually go? Like, how do, does it just disappear? So let me just explain to you how important this is that we are living in a time that's so different than the Bible times, and yet we want to go back to the Bible and understand this practice. But remember, we're living in such different times. And we have to make sense of the challenges that we face, actually the challenges that are already in the Bible around giving and practicing generosity. Why? Because it's God's gift to us to remind us that he's the only one who can provide. It's, we get to give. We don't have to give. I said this last week. God doesn't just take something from us. He says, bring it. Practice bringing something. And nobody in the Bible thought of coming empty-handed. They're like, of course we would bring something. How can we come and participate and celebrate that God's been so good to us? This is something we hope you think about because we live in a world where so many of us know horrible, horrible stories of how easy it is to use money and to abuse power, abuse money and, and take advantage of people. Churches have done this. And they've heard so many people. And as a pastor, I've sat and cried with people who've been abused by religion and money and corruption. But you know what? It doesn't get better by us just complaining. It gets better by us correcting it and not doing it again. It gets better by us saying we want to be healthy and model these practices because they're a gift from God. And we can learn to do this in a way that honors God. Now, if you've never thought about this, we're, we're happy that you're here because maybe you've had questions about this. But I want to move from the Jesus, the, the time in the Old Testament to when Jesus is alive and he's, he's like living and his ministry started. And I, and I want to move to the second part of the teaching time. And I want you to think a little bit of how important it was that Jesus addressed money in so many unique ways. Some of you might not know this, but Jesus decided that one of his earliest followers would be a tax collector. That wouldn't, be, that wouldn't have been on my card. <laughs> If somebody was asking me, like, picking who's going to be, like, the one in the, I'm thinking, like, poor people, people who are, like, you know, sacrificing. Jesus is like, nah, tax collector there, practice his whole life being slimy and sneaky. He's going to be a great disciple. No one's banking on this. That Jesus already is starting to correct people's ideas that even though money could be used in a corrupt way, symbolically, Jesus says, I will have a tax collector join our ranks to show you that God is redeeming one of the most important things that you deal with every day. His name is Matthew. 
Matthew's a tax collector. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us a bit of his story. Now, he doesn't stay a tax collector, but there are tax collectors that follow Jesus. Now, if you're thinking about tax collectors today, I've never met anyone that loves paying taxes. I never met anybody who's like, hooray, can't wait to give the government more money, right? Mostly because we disagree with how the government uses it, right? But Jesus says, no, no, this is going to be important. He takes someone that everybody hates, and he says, this is a person that's going to learn what it means to think differently about resources. And Matthew becomes somebody who starts to lead with him and, and becomes one of his followers. And in Matthew's gospel, there's this great moment where people try to trap Jesus with a money question. They're the best. Trapping Jesus with money questions are always so good because you're like, oh, what is he going to say? He's got to get it right. And then you're like, I want to I use this if somebody tries to trap me with money questions. Some of you maybe know, Matthew tells us the story. That one day people hear Jesus and they're like, this rabbi, he's different. Like, who would have a tax collector be in the, like, with them? This doesn't make sense. And these religious leaders come to Jesus and the Bible says they're trying to trap him. And they say, hey, Jesus, we have a question about taxes. Do you think those of us who love God and are obedient to Yahweh, should we keep paying taxes to Caesar and to the government? Should we keep doing that? You're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. If you say yes, it looks like Jesus is like siding with the government. If he says no, it looks like he's being disobedient and not being responsible as a leader. Some of you maybe know this. Jesus is like, give me one of the coins that you have. It's called a denarius. Denarius, you'll see it over here on the screen. Just a coin. We actually have many of them we've seen. And on these coins, there's an image of Caesar who represents the government. And Jesus takes the coin and he says, you know what? You need to continue doing this. You need to continue giving to Caesars what belongs to Caesar and you need to keep giving to God what belongs to God. And the Bible says that people were amazed that he found a way to explain that there's, there's a way of life that requires you to hold this tension. Does it mean Jesus supported the government and supported Caesar? Of course not. He's going to talk about negative things that are happening in his world. But he says, as it comes to money, this is what Jesus does. And they try to trap him with this question and try to get him to kind of to trick him. Maybe for you, you felt that. You felt that like when it comes to money, either it has your heart, you see what other people have. You're like, I wish I had more. I've had this tension in my life where I'm like, if only I had more things, I'd be happier. If only I have what I see people have on social media or on Instagram, then I'll be happy when I have those. And then you get those things and you're like, I'm still not happy. See, because the world confuses money for success where the Bible uses money to help us understand significance. They're completely different. And without realizing, I think we over time, because our hearts are not committed to God in every way, soon start to see money just as something that is a model of success. And then we're shocked when we get more things and we're still not happy. When we get more provision and we're still like, oh, one more thing. Oh, if only this. And everybody knows this, that the more stuff you get, you also get more problems. You also have more challenges. These themes are all in the Bible. They're all being addressed in different ways. But I want to remind you, all of this comes down to remembering God's goodness to us as the one who provides. The one who provides. Not our every want, but at least our needs. When Jesus began his ministry, you'd be shocked at how many people realized somebody's got to continue this ministry that Jesus has started. I want to read another passage for you in the Bible. Okay, We're moving from the Old Testament to Jesus being trapped about taxes to thinking about this moment when Jesus begins his ministry. And if I had to tell you like how shocking it is to read this passage, 
to think about the people who are already saying, I, I want to be a part of this. How can I give? How can I help? How can I encourage people to, to continue to hear the message of Jesus? This is what Luke tells us. Soon after, Jesus began traveling. Some, some of your translations say he began a tour of a nearby town and villages, preaching. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. It's amazing. Luke is like, if you're wondering how this happened, there were women already, primarily women, who are there, who are like, we, we're going to contribute. They know what it's like to be part of the practice of setting resources aside for God's work, and now they're like, wait a second. It might not always be the first fruits in a garden, but they start to contribute to the ministry of Jesus. And you might notice something very, very strange in this passage. One of those people is a manager in Herod's business. This is a very unique thing in the Bible to see this, that people who already were part of the government were starting to let go of their positions of power and say, you know what, I have this job, but I'm going to start seeing my job as a way of serving the things of God. And they start to say, well, we want to be a part of this too. We want to give. We want to serve. We want to help. This is the, one of the earliest examples in the Bible of people starting to set resources aside to encourage and to help the message of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus to move forward. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because in the next few minutes, we're just going to go a little bit deeper. I know some of you are like, it's already too much, okay, but just a little bit deeper. I want to give you, this is the earliest example we have in the New Testament of some of the early ways that people were setting resources aside for the work that Jesus is doing, okay? Not because they have to, not because they're being pressured that if they don't give, they're not going to heaven, not them being tricked. They're like, no, 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 we want to contribute. And we have their names that are there as a reminder that they're helping and playing their part. We don't know how much they're giving. Some are giving more, some are giving less. Maybe some of them are using the 10th model, a portion of that. We don't know. But I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down two words. I'm going to use, should I write, should I use my scribbly thing? Let's see. I have to write sideways. Does that make sense? What, what, oh, I flipped. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> this is awesome. I said to Will, let's try this at the Bible study. He's like, no, it's going to work great now. Fire Will. Fire Will. Mental note. Somebody write that down. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, it's better now, okay? I, want, I, wanted, I, I wanted to draw this picture. I, I want to give you, give you an example, and I'm going to give you a practice. But in the middle, I want to tell you about a mess. Okay? Very simple. Remember this picture? Take a, this is going to be worth a lot of money someday. Take a picture of this. <laughs> I give you an example I'm going to tell you a practice in a few minutes, but between an example and a practice, I want to tell you about this big mess right in the middle. The earliest example is that these women who are with Jesus, they see the disciples, they see a tax collector, they see the ministry of Jesus, and they're like, we're going to play our part. We're going to take of our resources and we're going to help you however we can. Make meals, have a, a bed for you to sleep in when you're traveling, whatever that is, they're, they're giving. It's a great example for us that we are not the first ones to have to practice seeing our resources as going to helping the things that Jesus is doing, as helping others understand the, the work of Jesus and how he can set them free. Example, the Gospel of Luke. Very simple. 
If somebody asks you, why do you give and why do you go to church? I'm like, oh, we have this ancient example. It's great. Of people who are practicing this, who are doing this. But before I tell you the practice, I want to tell you about something that happens in the middle, which has to do with this incredible mess. And it's a mess that's very complicated. And it's complicated for us in a way that it's not complicated for people in the Bible. Okay? If you, this is probably something if you're a ministry partner, if you've been at the 180 for a while, you've heard me talk about in different ways. But if you're new, this is maybe going to feel like a brand new thing. But I want to talk to you what it means that we live at a time where the church is seen as a charity. Okay, this is such an important thing. <laughs> that in a secular society, the only word for the church is to call us a charity. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down somewhere, maybe on your arm. The church is not a charity. The church is not just some nonprofit charity that does good things along the way. Remember, we know that one of the essential things about being this community is we're people who've been transformed by Jesus and understand that because of that, we want other people to be transformed by Jesus. Okay, and I want you to understand that because we're a charity, we have the responsibility, which by the way is really, really great, we have the responsibility of following charity laws. There's laws in this province for how charity works. There's guidelines for government officials. There's paperwork that happens that I sign to say we're a church in this area, okay? The church in a world of charities is very complex. No one in the Bible is thinking about this. No one in the Bible is worried about this because there's no banks, there's no charities, and the church is like this small group of people just collecting in a box and moving forward. I want, before I tell you about why this is so complicated, is that there are benefits to being called a charity in Canada. Some of you know this because on your way out, you're going to pick up your tax receipt. These are the benefits of living in a country that says, nah, religious groups, what do we call them? Ah, we're not sure. They're like charities. They're nonprofit, and if they help and people participate, we're going we're gonna to bless them. We're going to help them. They wouldn't probably say bless, but we're going to give you some back. So this is really important. We live in this framework of understanding this. Now, over the years, there's been a major, major shift for how churches find their voice, their unique voice in this place of charities, of all these kind of different organizations that do good work. I used to sit on a, on a board called Habitat for Humanity. Some of you maybe heard about this. Habitat for Humanity was a wonderful uh, nonprofit board, did some great work, and it was seen as a charity, right? But I was there and I understood what they did is different than what the church does. But for the government, it's like they're all the same thing. You all just help, help somebody. And it is so important that we remember that the church is not a charity. A charity is the secular word for how the government defines who we are. That's not who we are. We're something deeper than that, although we help in charitable ways. And we respond. You've already heard the prayers, and I, I know many of you, that over the years you've been so generous as we've had needs or there's issues around the world or concerns. We step in and we give and we respond in that way. We respond in helping in the needs around the world. But the church is deeper than that. And I'm going to tell you an example of how the church is deeper than that. That if somebody died tomorrow, a stranger we've never met, they're watching us online, and they just love this church, and they died, and they left us $20 million as a gift to the church. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, amen. We got that. If you're there, this is for you. Okay. <laughs> they died and left us $20 million. Next Sunday, we would ask you to give money in the offering. Next Sunday, we would announce how important it is for you to practice going online and contributing and playing your part. If we were a charity, we would never do that. We would say we have enough money to do what we want to do. 
You understand the difference? That giving in the church is an act of worship, not just an act of helping needs. Now, we help needs. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But it's bigger than just helping needs because when we don't learn that, people decide until the church doesn't give to the things I like, I'm not giving. We become an organization that decides, oh, what are your needs? You care about those things? We're going to give to those things, so please keep giving. Oh, you don't like those things? Oh, we're going to give to this, so please keep giving. That's not what the church is because the church is not a what? A charity. We're not a charity. We are learning what it means to worship Jesus with our resources because they model in us a practice of God has provided and we get to participate and give back to his work in the world. We don't just meet needs. It's bigger than that. Now, in the middle, remember, we have an example. Look at that. Is it back? Okay, you just deleted the whole thing? Okay. We have an example. Practical, practical uh, practice I'm going to show you in a little while, but we have this mess. Can I just take the charity problem to a whole other level? Harvard Business Review, one of the leading journals on leadership, corporate culture, charity work, all these things, they're brilliant. All their stuff is fascinating. A few years ago, they introduced a something in the culture that's happening. And I have just a, a picture for you for this. You'll see this. It impacts the church in a profound way. Just go to the image. It, they're, they're calling it the new corporate philanthropy movement. The new corporate philanthropy movement is a movement in companies that they decide that if we can find a way to make our corporate company also do good work in the world, we will then just be seen as someone who does charity work and makes money. This shift in organizations where you can listen to a podcast and the person you're listening to will say, every time you listen to us, we build a well in this part of the world. Do you see how complex, did I get messy enough for you yet? Nobody in the Bible is, is worried about this problem. We are. That Amazon says that every time you shop at Amazon, people smile, right? Amazon gives back. So why would you ever give to a church? Why would you ever give to a church? You don't always see where it goes. The needs are not how you feel that they should go. But if I keep buying nice jeans at Amazon, little kids will get some help somewhere around the world. The church is not a charity. We don't play by those rules. But when that starts to happen in our world, you can see how easily you're like, wait a second. Why would I ever give to a community of faith when I can make double or triple the impact by helping the needs by just buying stuff on Amazon, by just buying Purelator products? During the Super Bowl, you write down how many times you're going to see a company promoting some charitable thing they do when you keep buying their product. You watch. Is it messy enough yet? Do you see how important it is that we catch this? that we learn deeply from the Bible what it means that our resources are connecting to something deeper, which is how we worship God, not just how we deal with problems in the world. So much bigger. And if you need to come back and watch this sermon again or think about it in a deeper way, I want to emphasize all the work that's being done by charities is important and helpful and beautiful. We need to celebrate that and we need to come alongside and support that. But may we never forget that the connection between the church and all the needs in the world is not that clean and it's not that simple. And if it is, soon the secular world will decide something that we all feel, that the church is obsolete. We don't need a church anymore. We're taking care of the needs of the world. We don't need you guys to give money. We got better systems out there. And what gets lost in the process is we forget that giving doesn't start by just saying, how do we help needs? It starts by saying, God, we've come to worship you. Only you can provide for us. We're coming to contribute so that your work continues to move forward in the world. And we do that with charities. And we do that with supporting other groups. You feel the tension? 
Some of you are like, I should have stayed home. <laughs> Examples of Jesus and women supporting him. The mess that we live in, a practice that the Bible tells us. This is one of the earliest practices we have in the Bible. And we're told, the earliest Christians. On the first day, Sunday of each week, you should each put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, Paul is saying, and then try to collect it all at once. This is one of the earliest giving practices of giving in the life of worship of the church. It's amazing that this passage happens on a Sunday when people are worshiping, when people are gathering together to celebrate that God has provided. Now, you'll notice very, very quickly in this passage what is not there. Ten, 10% is not there. A tenth is not there. So we don't really know how much people are doing, but there's already the principle of people saying we've set aside a portion of what we have. And the person who's coming to collect the money, his name is Paul, if you're not familiar with the Bible, and he says, when I come, I'm going to collect some of this money, and we know exactly what he's going to do with it. He's going to buy a nice car. No. That's not what he's doing. He's collecting it and thinking, how do we start more churches? How do we help poor people? How do we launch the kingdom of God so that the message of Jesus continues to move around the world? And in the process, people's needs are being met at the same time. He says this to us. He gives us this great gift of a practice early on. Now, when I was a Christian, when I started kind of following God, this really helped me a lot. Because I was like, you know, I have a job and I'm trying to think about like how do I contribute and I did this in my own life. This might help you. I did the 10th thing and I did it weekly because I knew that I was greedy and if I didn't really give, I'd get to the end of a few months and be like, oh, somebody said there's kids who need toys at the church, I should help. Disconnected from anything. I said, no, no, I need a habit. I need this practice of doing this. Now, it might not be helpful for you. This might not work for you and it's not a rule in the Bible but it is an important practice that has deep, deep theological meaning that giving was connected to people worshiping together. Nowhere in the Bible do we see what do you do when you have a debit card? What do we do with the MasterCard problem? Can we use a debit machine? What about online giving? Oh, like, I'm like, I don't know. This is a, and I've been in churches where it's like, because it's not clear, we don't use any of those resources. I understand. There's a lot of dangers and challenges to all that stuff. But we're really blessed to live at a time where we can experience the blessing of giving to God's work, new systems that we're learning to use all the time, but none of those things will help us be those who practice this. How many of you feel that you're doing this? How many of you are at a place in your life where you're like, you know what, I already kind of am learning to be generous in this way. I'm already learning what it means to set aside a little of what I have to give to the things of God. Some of those go to very clear needs that we have that emerge right away. Others are going really to clarity, to helping the kingdom of God, to teaching about Jesus, to passing on the faith to the next generation. Not always things we see right away. Maybe for you, this is kind of scary. You're like, ah, oh, this is overwhelming. I still have a lot of questions. That's, that's great. We'd love to help with those. We'd love to help to talk to you more about the complexities around government and how we deal with all those things. And trust me, most of those are, we're learning as we go. When we started the 180, I'll never forget Somebody came up to me, not familiar with church, one of my neighbors on my street, and I said, hey, there's a new church in Laval, and we're going to be helping people understand about Jesus. And they said, like a new church? Like, can you just do that? And I said, yeah, there's laws and charity laws. You've got to apply for certain things. And then the person said, like, do you, when do you call the Pope to, to do that? 
And I've said this before. I'm like, that's such a great question. Like, should I call the Pope? I'm like, is that part of it? Like, it's amazing how people have such sincere questions about such an important topic. And we never talk about it. We just let people go on confused. We hope they get it. Or we leave them with the most painful story they've ever experienced that has to do with somebody corrupt who was in the church who took my aunt's money. The end. Good luck. That's not what the Bible invites us to. The Bible invites us to something so much more beautiful, so much more life-giving, so much more exciting as we look at examples, we have practices that we can start to model, and we deal with the mess that we're living in right now, which is our issue, our challenge, our work. If you're part of this community, you know that we're, we're just always learning and encouraging you and celebrating how God is at work and how your giving is helping us with those things. If you're a ministry partner, you often see the backside of budgets and rent and all those other things as well. But I'm going to have the team come up, and I, I asked the team if they can just do a song we've already sang. And you'd be surprised how few songs have ever been written about money. You know, we don't have a song called The Tenth of Your Giving. Sing that song. Somebody should write it, but I don't know. We, we just don't have it. But at the heart, there's a song that we sang this morning about surrender that has to do with all of that of learning to surrender what we have. And our bodies are sometimes used as an image of that. You sometimes see us worshiping with our hands open or raising our hands up when we sing. These are universal, universal images of surrender, right? You put your hands up, it's complete surrender. You go like this, complete surrender. Maybe if you close your eyes and you think about it as we sing this song, you're not a person right now that's living like this. You're not a person that's living surrendered like this. You're someone maybe who still feels the pressures of money, debts, and all these things, and you, you feel like this. You feel that your life is a bit more like this. We understand. Jesus met people who were living like this. They were afraid. They were concerned. They're like, they had stories. They lived like this. And I can imagine Jesus just gently saying to them, I can't give you more if you don't open up your hands. I can't give you more. But they probably thought about, but what if you take what I have? Then I'll have nothing. And there was something about Jesus that they knew that he was not going to take what they have because he didn't need what they had because God doesn't need our money. But he says, just open up. The longer you've lived like this, the harder it is to open up. The longer you live like this, the harder it is to believe that God wants to use you to help other people understand the message of Jesus. Harder. So much harder. The longer you live like this, the harder it will be for you to believe what Jesus says in the book of Acts. You can go to the last slide. It's what Jesus says one day. That it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the words of Jesus. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? If you're a Christian, you believe him. It's always more blessed to live with hearts open and ready to contribute, to give. For some of you, it starts maybe with just one of the nine, just one thing part. For some of you, are like, God's blessed us so much more, we can give more than that. We can give so much more than that. We don't have to, we get to gonna have you stand. We're gonna sing the song about surrender. 
Think about what God is calling you to surrender before we close. Maybe uh, this is hard to hear, a topic that maybe you didn't expect. But before I pray, I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're feeling afraid or overwhelmed with needs that you have or concerns that you have or struggles, that we as a church are here to help, to pray, to respond that we believe that when we, get to, when we do this, we see God at work through us. What a gift that we get to participate in this. If you want to pray with someone this morning or you just want to talk with someone, we have people in our prayer space back there that would love to connect with you. 
If you have questions about giving, you know, you can send us a note at give at the180.ca or info at the180.ca. But before I pray this morning, I'm just going to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to open up your hands. And I want you to imagine what it would look like for God to give you more than you could ever hold in those hands. That God can provide for you things that would overflow out of your hands that you would not be able to even carry them. And that if He did that, what would you do with all of that? What would you do with all of His provision? How would you respond? God, you've been so faithful to us as individuals, as a church, and you've provided in ways we didn't even know how to pray for. You love to take care of your people. But we also know that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are depending on our generosity. They depend on us having hearts fully surrendered to you. Not because we are just meeting needs because we are reminded to continue to present the deep love of God, the deep freedom that comes with saying yes to you, Jesus. Because we believed you when you said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Help us as we live in a world that feels messy and complicated and makes it very confusing to be the church. Help us to remember that you, Jesus, are the head of your church, not the head of a charity that you are the head of the church, not just the, the head of a nonprofit. that we are your hands and your feet in this world, and that one day we will each give account to you for how we acted with your blessings. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we're really proud of you. If you're in our Bible study, we'll see you Tuesday night. Sign up, ministry partners, please sign up, sign up. I don't want to have to send you a mean email. Love you all. See you soon. Bye-bye.